All right, so we have made it to class number 36, class number 36, amen. It um, has been a, a unique year, to say the least, um, with Discipleship Counselor Training Class 2020-2021. Uh, um, we started uh, in August, and that, of course, was when you know, the pandemic was still going pretty strongly. And um, anyway, this is the first year, this is our 17th year to teach this class, and this is the first year that we have um, live stream only um, the entire 36 classes. And uh, so, anyway, I appreciate you so much for your faithfulness uh, to be a part of these classes. I appreciate the feedback that I've received from you um, through email, Facebook, phone calls, uh, even face-to-face -face conversations. And so um, it has been an honor and a privilege to be able to speak the Word of God into your life these past 36 class, well 35 classes fixing to be for the 36th time. And um, we will be uh, starting discipleship class up again uh, in August. Our plans are to do um, live uh, as well as live streaming. But what I mean by live is uh, actually have uh, students in the classroom. And so um, we're believing for that to work out and, and uh, believe that it will. And so um, anyway, more to come uh, on that. So we'll be taking a break after tonight's class and then we'll start up again uh, for the 2021-2022 um, discipleship class school year, um, <clears throat> mid-August, probably August the 18th. Um, and of course that's at a five o'clock for the live classes. Um, so anyway, um, while we're talking about closing out this year, let me put my email address up for you. That's uh, mark at hccnow.org. Now if you have another email address for me, I don't, I don't ever like close those email accounts. And so if you have another email address programmed in your phone or computer, That'll work as well, but if you have um, <clears throat> completed 30 out of the 36 classes, and let's say you're behind a few and you want to take a week or two to watch them and then you know, get with me later, that's fine as well. Um, it doesn't have to be done by tonight or by the end of this week. Um, it's on an honor system, so 30 out of 36 classes. We'd love to get you a completion certificate to acknowledge your accomplishment. And um, so just reach out to me by uh, email, text, however you have a way to contact me. And, um, and we'll get that information to you, get that certificate to you, praise God. So that's mark at hccnow.org. All right. Also um, tonight, I want to go back to the title slide um, because we're going to continue uh, tonight, um, as we begin anyway, righteousness by faith. And then the time that we have remaining, we're going to talk about renewing the mind. Righteousness by faith and um, renewing the mind. And so that's going to be uh, our agenda uh, for um, class number 36. So um, before we do that, let me also say that, um, you know, in all the years that we've done this, uh, no two years have been exactly the same. We try to cover a lot of the same material, but obviously, um, you know, we all grow. And I've certainly grown in all the years that we've done this. And um, the last couple of years, I've really been... Well, let me say it this way. Last year was very unique. 
um, because we started with uh, live classes and then when we went to live streaming our midweek service on Wednesdays, we, we moved the class curriculum to that time slot for our live stream. And so last year is really not a good um, uh, set of classes to examine. But in, in the years before um, last year, I began to realize that it, as we've progressed, it's grown and it's getting harder and harder to fit everything into 36 weeks. And so uh, and there's folks out there that have taken this class as many as eight times of the, of the 17 times that we've taught it. There are folks that have, have, have been through it almost half uh, that many times. And so, you know, if you'd like to get the in-person experience, I would recommend it uh, next year. Or if you just want to watch it again and go through it again, um, I would encourage it. But I'm, I'm really anticipating some changes next year. Um, just because we get to this point, and as Jesus said to his disciples, you know, I still have so many things to tell you, and there's just so many things. Um, I wish we were class 30 right now, and I had six more classes. Um, but anyway, we're, we're going to deal with that. You be in prayer with me about that, and um, I don't, I'm not shortchanging you. There, I mean, we're, we're forever learning. We're forever growing, um, and, um, and that's the case with, with this set of classes. So, but when we talk about that next part, renewing the mind, um, it's really the heart of discipleship. Um, in the earlier classes, when we looked at and answered the question, what is discipleship, we talked briefly about that. And um, <clears throat> we're going to get into it uh, tonight, at least briefly. Um, but when we understand salvation uh, from a spirit soul and body perspective we know that our spirits have been saved our souls are being saved and then our bodies will be when our salvation is complete and our mortal body becomes an immortal body and so the real target then of our spiritual growth is not our spirits and I know that for some folks that's a little bit confusing I'm not trying to confuse you it wasn't a baby Jesus that came to live inside of you when you were born again it was a resurrected glorified Jesus and so the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that um, by one offering of himself, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And so there's a, there's a dimension of your existence, the most important dimension of your existence, the part that I call the real you, your spirit. That part of you has, has already been perfected. It's, it's, it's not a work in progress, but the part that is a work in progress is our soul, our mind, emotions, and our, and our will, our choices, and then ultimately our flesh and, and, our, and our behavior and how that you know, plays out into our daily walk and daily lives. And so anyway, <clears throat> just to try and, and, uh, and, and point that out to you. So the real target then of discipleship, spiritual growth, is when our thinking comes into alignment with our born-again spirit. When we uh, think more like the person we became through the new birth than the person we were before we were born again. And this is this process of the renewing of the mind, and it is really the crux or the heart of, of what discipleship um, is all about, and it's an ongoing process. That's why I told you in the early days of these classes that, that I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple maker, but it takes one to make one. And um, so the renewing of the mind is something that's ongoing in my life, and um, I continue to experience the positive benefits in my life reality um, from that ongoing uh, process. But anyway, all that said, let's, let's 
there's a few things I want to wrap up about righteousness by faith, uh, being right with God in the eyes of God because we've embraced something Jesus did for us. In the Old Testament, a man was made right with God based upon his performance, uh, based upon her performance, based upon what a man or a woman did and, and how they lived up to the commands of God. In the New Testament, Jesus has changed that. Um, now our right standing with God is not based upon what we do for God, but it's based upon what um, God has done for us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. So again, not what you do, but what's been done for you. Now, I'm talking about your righteousness now, your right standing with God. Remember, we said that's a state of being. So one way that you could think of it is, is this, because what we do for God does count. It, it, it is important. It does matter. Um, but your, your rewards um, one day, uh, both, well, I say one day, in this life and the life that is to come are based upon what you do for God, um, but your righteousness is not based upon. Remember we said holiness, it's all the things that you um, don't do anymore because you've been born again, all the things you separate yourself from. Godliness, um, all the things that you do now because you've been made righteous, you've been, you've been born again. Um, so things like reading your Bible, attending church, sharing the gospel with other people, um, that's, <clears throat> that's godliness and holiness. But our righteousness is not dependent upon our godliness and our holiness. In other words, our right standing with God is not based upon how many things we don't do that we shouldn't or how many things we do that we should. Um, our righteousness is based upon a gift that we've received. And anything outside of that, the Bible identifies as self-righteousness. In other words, any effort on your part to make yourself right with God by your own efforts, by your own works, the Bible calls self-righteousness, and it's as filthy rags. And so I think we mentioned this verse last week, but let's just go back as we begin now. Romans chapter 10, verses uh, 2 and 3. It says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So I'll leave that on the screen for a moment. He's talking about um, people, primarily Jewish people, who were continuing to hold on to the Old Testament approach to having relationship and fellowship and with God and being right with God. And so they were very determined. They had a zeal for God. The Apostle Paul being uh, perhaps, you know, the classic example, um, to, you know, his resume of, of all that he did and, and excelled above all his equals in the Jewish religion. But his zeal um, was not based upon understanding of the truth or of knowledge. And so he says when we're ignorant of God's righteousness, and we're talking about his righteousness, we're not just talking about him being right, but remember, it's his righteousness that he has now given to us, made available to us as a free gift. And so ignorant of God, ignorance of God's righteousness, not knowing, not understanding about God's righteousness and the gift of righteousness that he has offered to us, um, it leaves one at a disadvantage, uh, especially one who wants to be right with God, who wants to please God, uh, and the disadvantage is that we try to make ourselves right by our own efforts and by our own works instead of submitting ourselves to the righteousness of God. So to submit to something means to place yourself under it, uh, to humble yourself. It's a military term um, referring to a soldier being 
submitted to being placed under a commander. And uh, Keith Moore said that submission only comes into play when there's a disagreement with those who are over you. As long as you agree with everything your boss says and every decision that your boss makes, you're technically not in submission to them. It's when they make a decision and you want to do something else that you have a choice to either rebel against the authority that's over you or to submit to it. Now, if you take that same understanding to this uh, uh, truth, this concept of truth, uh, submitting to the righteousness of God, um, you know, there's lots in us, uh, in our flesh and, and, and in our independence and our, our wanting to control things that would would try to get us to rebel against instead of submit ourselves to the righteousness um, of God. Um, uh, so we asked a question last week. We said, what percentage um, of your righteousness depends upon you and what percentage depends upon God? And how you answer will go a long way towards revealing how much you have submitted to the righteousness of God. I've asked this question uh, to groups of people, uh, you know, present in the room to get feedback from them. And I've asked this to, to individuals in counseling, um, not because I'm trying to embarrass anybody or, or expose their lack of understanding, but again, the answer goes a long way towards revealing how much you've submitted to the righteousness of God or how much you fail to submit and think that your righteousness is dependent upon you and your behavior. So the answer to the question is this, 100% of your righteousness depends upon what Jesus has done for you, and 0% depends upon your obedience or what you do for him. Again, if you hear me saying your obedience is not important, if you hear me saying that what you do for him is not important, you're not hearing me accurately, you're not hearing me correctly. Your obedience, my obedience to the Word of God is absolutely important. It's crucial. If we're going to experience and enjoy the life that God created us to live, if we're going to live without falling and stumbling, uh, if we're going to build our house on that firm foundation of God's truth, then we're going to have to dig deep. We're going to have to hear the sayings of Jesus and we're going to have to do them. All of that's important. And, and, and I'm, you know, you can ignore God and do your own thing and cause your physical life to end prematurely. So, you know, what we do for God counts. It, it matters. It's important. There's reward and benefit from it. But, the, but our righteousness with Him is not based upon that. It's not dependent upon that. 100% of my right standing with God um, is based upon what Jesus has done for me. And I, and I pray that you understand this before you stand before Him one day and start trying to um, justify yourself by by um, your good works and by your obedience and, and by your serving him. Um, let me put another slide on the screen here, okay? You cannot do one thing to add to or take away from the righteousness you became through the new birth. You cannot increase the standing you have with God, and you cannot diminish the standing that you have with God. Now, this is a much bigger problem than most people understand. On the surface, it seems innocent enough. Um, and and I, I think for a lot of years, I was confused on all of this because it's like, hey, you know, why risk it? Better to be safe than sorry. Um, and so I, I was constantly trying to add to my right standing with God um, rather than submitting myself to his righteousness, the gift of righteousness that he had given to me, the righteousness that he had made me when I was born again. Um, for many years, I insisted on trying to add to that uh, and, and, you know, 
excel above everybody else and be better than everybody else and, and so forth and so on. Um, the other side of that coin, though, is if I believe my obedience and works can add to my righteousness, then I by, def I by default, I by default, um, also believe that my disobedience or lack of good works can take away from my righteousness. Do you understand what I'm saying here? In other words, if I believe that I can do something to add to it, then I can't just uh, only look at that in, the, in a positive sense. If my belief is that my righteousness, my right standing with God, can be influenced by my behavior, good or bad, then my good behavior, wrong belief, you know, uh, but will not only add to it, but then my bad behavior will take away from it. Now, we simply call this righteousness handout, okay? And um, there are copies of these uh, at hccnow.org under the resources tab. And um, I'm actually going to take the time to go through both of these uh, with you. Um, this is a summation of um, a lot of the things that the Lord has taught me from the scriptures um, about righteousness. And let, let, me, let me stop right here for a minute, okay? Um, let, let me just give you like one example. Uh, the Bible says that the wicked, uh, the, the, the wicked run when no one is chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The effectual fervent prayer, James teaches us through the Holy Spirit, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Um, <clears throat> it, one translation says it makes the dynamic power of God available in its working. If you've ever heard Brother Kenneth uh, Hagen's testimony, um, Kenneth uh, E. Hagen, Kenneth W. Hagen is his son that still runs um, Kenneth Hagen Ministries, but I'm talking about his dad. Um, he was raised off of his deathbed as a young man. God supernaturally healed him. And he found that scripture in, in the Bible where the uh, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes the power of God dynamic in its working of, uh, you know, uh, available. But because he didn't understand righteousness by faith, he thought righteousness was something that you earned over a lifetime. And because he was on his deathbed, he felt like he would never live long enough to establish himself right before God in the eyes of God so that his prayer could make the power of God available to him for healing. So for him, the message of righteousness by faith was not only as important as healing by faith, um, it was the key that unlocked um, healing by faith for him when he realized that his righteousness was not based upon something that he had to do to earn, but something that Jesus had, had done for him and had given to him that he received by faith. He then had more confidence. Remember, the wicked run when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So a huge part of our discipleship and how this you know, segues into renewing the mind is when we begin to see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus where we begin to consider ourselves, reckon ourselves righteous, we see that the blood of Jesus is able to purge even our very conscience of sin, our very consciousness of sin. Um, and, and yet so many still are more aware of the sinner they were instead of the righteous child of God, son or daughter of God that they have become. And so beginning to see ourselves in light of the righteousness that we've been made 
um, beginning to think like someone who is righteous and right with God um, has tremendous effect, has tremendous influence and impact on our life reality. And so let me um, take a moment to go through these two. Again, these documents are available um, at um, hccnow.org under the resources tab. Um, but uh, don't go there now, just stay with me for a minute, all right? The first one is uh, titled An Overview of Righteousness. An Overview of Righteousness. And so what, um, what I encouraged um, uh, our folks here at Heritage to do when the Lord uh, gave us uh, th these words was to keep these in front of their face. You know, put them on your bathroom mirror, put them on your fridge, um, maybe you know, somewhere on your desk at work. Or somewhere that you can just read through these really quickly, um, and and again the re the renewing of the mind, um, you know, hearing the truth. E every bit of this um, is backed by scripture, and so when I hand out one of these, um, I often say bonus points for anyone who will find, you know, two or three verses to support each statement. And so this isn't just something that sounds good. Um, I've even had people ask me over the years, you know, when I will read this or something similar to this the Lord gives me, is, you know, what passage of Scripture was I reading? Well, this, this is a conglomeration of, a, a compilation of many Scriptures, um, and, and it's designed to just literally, um, you know, bombard our hearts and minds with, with the truth, concentrated truth on a specific subject. In this particular case, the subject is our righteousness. So let's go through it here. An overview of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God. So notice this is in the form of a confession. Okay. I am, let me put it up on the screen. I apologize. I am the righteousness of God. I did nothing to earn or deserve the righteousness I have become, but received it as a gift. I was born a sinner from the corrupted seed of Adam. Sin was more than a problem I had or something I tried not to do. Sin was my nature. I was a sinner and I was powerless to make myself right before God. My behavior, no matter how good, was powerless to change my sin nature. Because of the great love with which He loved me, Father sent Jesus to take the punishment for every sin I have committed in the past and will commit in the future. Jesus took the blame and punishment for everything I have done or will do wrong and gave me the credit and reward for everything He did right. Jesus also made a way for me to be born a second time from His seed, effectively killing my sin nature and recreating me with a new nature, His divine nature. Righteousness is now more than a quality I have or something I aspire to do. Righteousness is my new nature. Just as I was powerless to make myself righteous, I am powerless to keep myself righteous. Let me come, I'm on a, uh, before I read the next part of this, let me come back over here, okay? This, this was a hang-up for me, um, even after the Lord began to teach me about righteousness by faith and what, what, I, what we see in His Word about it, is I, I stopped kind of halfway through. It's like, okay, I could never make myself right before God in the eyes of God, and so He did that for me. Um, 
but I viewed it almost like him giving me a boost. It's like, okay, I made you righteous, now you're saved. Now it's up to you to maintain, uh, sustain, keep yourself righteous, okay? I'm not saying we shouldn't aspire to righteousness, but no, the Bible in the New Testament, for instance, it doesn't say um, uh, to uh, be righteous from that perspective. It's, it says instead, listen to this, awake to righteousness. He's talking about the righteousness that we've already become and, and our becoming awakened to that. Again, this realization of this, this understanding, um, this renewing of the mind to the righteousness that, that we have become. And so this is what he said to the Galatians. He's, you know, he says, having begun in the spirit, are you going to try to finish it in the flesh? Um, and and, and you know, that was the mistake that they made, and it was a mistake that I made. Um, is that I thought, okay, you know, he got me started, so now I'm, it's up to me to finish it. And, and, and when it comes to righteousness, no, 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 that, that's, not, that's not how it works. You know, I was powerless to make myself righteous, and I am powerless to keep myself righteous. My frame is dust, and my mind needs to be reconciled. Uh, I'm sorry, my mind needs to be reconditioned because it has been infected, imprinted, and influenced by the world and my former nature. Therefore, I still commit sin on occasion. Thankfully, my righteousness is based upon what has been done for me and is not dependent upon my behavior. For my behavior, no matter how bad, is powerless to change my righteous nature. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. Now, we covered this when we covered the new birth, and I'm not going to try to go back through it all again um, right now, but just remember, the nature of a thing is determined by the seed that produced it. If through our obedience we could change our nature from sinner to saint, from sinner to righteous, then there was no point for Jesus to come. He could have just remained in heaven and gave us instructions on how to, to make ourselves righteous. But it's impossible. Behavior, what we're talking about now is something that transcends behavior. And so if good behavior can't make a, a, a sinner righteous, then bad behavior can't make a righteous person by nature a sinner again. You can't, you, you, you can't have it both ways, all right? And so um, that's, and I know some of you still are resistant to that, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit will awaken within you and unlock within you the understanding of these things. Now, the next um, uh, document that we're going to look at, the title of it is Understanding the Relationship Between Being Righteous and Doing Right. There is a relationship. Now listen to me, please. There is a relationship between being righteous and doing right. But as you're going to see in, in this um, uh, you know, document, what I'm fixing to show you and read to you, and again, they're available on the website for you to print out your own, is that the, the relationship between being righteous and doing right, remember you're a human being, um, there is a very powerful relationship, but it's just the opposite to the way most people understand it, all right? So here we go. Understanding the relationship between being righteous and doing right. 
This is how it reads. Being righteous and doing right are related and dependent upon one another, but not the way most people understand. Most people think being righteous is dependent upon doing right, but it is the exact opposite. Doing right is dependent upon being righteous. I was told and believed for many years that I was a sinner. Now, let me, let me come back to you. I was told and I believed for many years that I was a sinner. This was after I had been born again. Now, before I was born again, the reality of it is I, I was by nature a sinner. But after I was born again, I wasn't a sinner any longer. And so when we talk about many years I was told that I was a, I was a sinner, I was at the same time told that I was a sinner, but I needed um, to do right. Okay. So let me, let me just cut back over here. Um, let me, let me begin with those last two sentences, all right? Doing right is dependent upon being righteous. Um, I was told, and I believe for many years, that I was a sinner. And as a sinner, I was also told that I needed to do right. I was, in essence, being told to live in contradiction to what I was. The truth is, I was a sinner when Jesus found me, but he made me righteous through his blood and not by or because of my good behavior. I was born a second time and became a new creature with a new nature and a new identity. Based upon this and this alone, I am not a sinner anymore and will never be one again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, now. I'm coming back over. I'm not done. I'm just coming back over. Man, this stirs me up every time, all right? I triple dog dare you to begin to confess that I am not a sinner anymore and will never be one again. I am not a sinner anymore and will never be one again. Remember, your behavior will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true about yourself isn't true. So when Jesus made you a righteous son, daughter of God, okay? He made you righteousness. It's who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But if you continue to think of yourself, if you continue to see yourself, if you continue to have an image of yourself as a sinner instead of the righteous child of God that you are, then you'll continue to live like a sinner even though you're not a sinner any longer. So again, I was a sinner, but I am not a sinner anymore. There are people who love to say, I'm, a, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, no, that's, you're not saying it right. I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I am not a sinner any longer. I have now been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, So I'm not a sinner anymore, and I'll never be one again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am no longer trying to live in contradiction to what I am. Now that I have been made righteous, I have the wherewithal to do right. The more my mind is reconditioned to my new nature and new identity, the more my life reflects the reality of the righteousness I have become. So being right and doing right are dependent upon one another, but trying to do right in order to be right is futile and unacceptable to God. Because he made me right, I be right, and because I be right, I can do right. I humbly and joyfully submit myself 
to the righteousness of God. All right. Now, we just said a whole lot in those last few sentences there, okay? Let me go back to, let me go back to this one. I'm no longer trying to live in contradiction to what I am. Think about it. We were told from the pulpit, after we were born again, we were told from the pulpit that we're sinners and, and fussed at and rebuked and chastised and then told what we needed to go and do differently and do better and try harder. But the problem with that is we, we're being told to live in opposition to what we are. Um, and Jesus knew better than that. Jesus knew the only way that we would ever live in freedom is if he made us free. The only way we would ever have the wherewithal to, to do right and to live righteously and to be right is for him to make us right. And, and, and so that's exactly what he did. Um, so now that I understand the righteousness that I've been made and, and who I am in Christ, I'm no longer trying to live in contradiction to what I am. That's not to say that I don't make mistakes. That's not to say that I don't commit a sin. Um, but now that I've been made righteous, I have the wherewithal. Okay, let's put it back over. Now that I've been made righteous, I have the wherewithal to do right. The more my mind is reconditioned to my new nature and new identity, the more my life reflects the reality of the righteousness I have become. So being right and doing right are dependent upon one another, but trying to do right in order to be right is futile and unacceptable to God. So notice the difference there. Thinking that I have to do right if I'm going to be right is unacceptable to God. So this may not be good English, but it is really sound doctrine, okay? Because He made me right, because Jesus made me right, I be right. And because I be right, I can do right. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. Now, let me, um, let me come back across to you, all right? Um, there are uh, some things that I want us to get into in the time that we have remaining. And um, so just, again, just be in faith with me. Um, but let me, thank you, Jesus. Let, let me just give you a few things here. I, I have people ask me, and, and this is some of the stuff that I, I wish we had a whole class to devote to, but I have people ask me from time to time, Pastor Mark, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Now, rarely if ever will you hear me use that terminology for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's inflammatory. Um, there are people who once they hear it, even if they agree with it and believe it, they don't hear much of anything that I have to say after it. If you hear me say that and you disagree with it, then at this point you're just, anything I say after that you're either not going to listen to or you're just constantly trying to think how you can shoot it down instead of allowing it to penetrate your heart. Okay. So when I, when I use the, the phrase once saved, always saved, it's in this context um, to communicate what is a very hot, button topic in the body of Christ these days. Remember, Jesus came to do two things for you, take away your sin, baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And it's no coincidence that those two things, more than any others, are the things that have you know, currently divided the body of Christ into different camps and factions. Okay? This is what I say instead. Once born, always born. So once you've been born of God, you can die but you can never be unborn. In other words, the work that he did in you through the new birth is an eternal work. 
And um, in the book of Hebrews, he talks about how the Old Testament system, the Old Testament sacrifices, the Old Testament commandments, that none of those things could ever make those who practiced them, who participated in them, who, who came to God by them, that none of those things could ever make those worshipers perfect, could never make them complete, could never establish them. So do you see why I use that verse? I've already quoted it once or twice in the class right now. Um, today's class, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. By one offering of himself he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So the context even of that verse is standing in, um, uh, in comparison to the Old Testament system and all of its uh, implements and all of its practices, how none of that could make anybody perfect. And those sacrifices that would cover over sin could never take away sin. Jesus came to take away our sin. And how those sacrifices could never take away sin, they covered it over. And any sin that was committed after that, another sacrifice you know, had to be made. But Jesus, by one offering of himself, in other places, the Bible says he was one sacrifice for all sin for all time. So by one offering of himself, he has perfected forever um, those who are being sanctified. So let me just run through some of these verses. Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to go through them mainly because of just a couple of things that I want to I point out to you. Um, verse 14 says, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Now, let me talk about this here for a moment, and I, I, there's a lot that probably needs to be explained here. But one of the issues that Jewish people had in accepting Jesus as Messiah was that the Messiah was to be the eternal high priest and their understanding of the priesthood was that you had to be a descendant of Levi. You had to be a member of the tribe of Levi. That's the Levitical priesthood, one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel to be priests for the other 11. And so they're like, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. So they questioned his claim to Messiahship because of that thing. And so that's the writer of Hebrews is setting some of that straight. But notice he's saying here that Jesus is our high priest, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Remember I told you that he himself is our propitiation. He himself is our redemption. He himself is our justification. He himself is our reconciliation. For he testifies, verse 17, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. Okay, so there's that um, uh, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope, um, which we draw near to God. Now, let's um, through which we draw near to God. Let's go, that better hope, of course, is the one that provided by Jesus. Let's jump down, same chapter 7, verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So the priest would die and they'd have to, you know, replace them. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever 
has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been what? Perfected forever. Now, I read all of this and made the comments that I've made just simply to point out to you what he says about Jesus saving to the uttermost those who come to God through him. This word uttermost, I'm going to put it on the screen, uttermost means completely, wholly, entirely, forever. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save completely. He is able to save wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely and forever those who come to God through Him. Now, I've mentioned this verse a few times already, Hebrews 10, 14. I'll put it up on the screen. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Let's keep going. Verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then, um, let's go to verse 17. I apologize, I didn't break these up. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now look at this, verse 18. It's a very important verse. Now, where there is remission of these, talking about sin, there is no longer an offering for sin. And this verse confuses a lot of people because they don't understand the context. What he's talking about here is when the sin's been done away with, there's no need for an offering for sin to be made again and again and again. Let me give it to you in Hebrews 10, 18 in the Amplified. It says, now where there is absolute remission, forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty of these sins and law-breaking, there is no longer an offering made to atone for sin. Okay, let me give you the same verse in the God's Word translation. Hebrews 10, 18, God's Word. When sins are forgiven, there is no longer any need to sacrifice for sins. Okay, so do you see what he's saying here? By the power of an endless life, Jesus has, um, has done these things for us. Now, I want to give you a list of things. And I don't want to confuse you by this. And if anything, use this list as something to build on in the future. In other words, please don't take this time that you've been devoting to drawing near to God and learning and growing in the truth now that we're not having classes anymore until August. Um, take this time that you've been devoting to these classes and spend it studying the Word. Spend it fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, meditating on the Word and asking Him to teach you these things. And so I'm going to give you a list of 12 indisputable truths. We could take two classes to, um, to give you all the verses that support um, you know, these things. But again, back to this question, um, you know, 
do we have eternal salvation, these kinds of things. Um, let me just give you 12 indisputable truths, okay? Um, and, and when I say 12 indisputable truths, these are things that are absolutely positively confirmed in the mouth of two or three, and in many cases, dozens of verses, okay? So the first thing that we know, 12 indisputable truths, the first thing that we know, number one, is that we were born again from spiritual death. We were born again from spiritual death. Okay? Number two. Number two. We were born again by an incorruptible seed which gave us an indestructible heredity. Remember, he said the seed from which we were born the second time lives and abides forever. Seed reproduces after its kind. So because we were born a second time of a, of a seed that can't be corrupted, what that seed produced in your spirit can't be corrupted. That's why he says the evil one can't touch that part of you. That's why 1 John 3 says that at, at that level of your existence, spirit, soul, and body, your, the spirit level of a born-again man doesn't sin because you cannot sin. We've been over that multiple times. I'm not going to go back through it, but this is, again... We were born again by an incorruptible seed which gave us an indestructible heredity. Okay? Number three, 12 indisputable truths. We have already received eternal life. We have already received eternal life. Remember, we looked at this in, in the scriptures. Um, eternal life is not something that you, you know, when a born again man or woman dies, and Father God and Jesus look at one another and like, well, what do you think? Okay, well, all right, let's just go ahead and give them eternal life. No, you've already received eternal life. You're already seated together with Jesus. Everybody's like, am I going to go to heaven when, I'm, when I die? Are you kidding me? If you're born again, you're already there. I'm sorry. You're, you've already received <laughs> eternal life. That's number three. Number four, we have been given an equal share in the divine nature. This is Second Peter 1. A partaker of the divine nature. Partaker means to have an equal share in. We have an equal share in the divine nature. Now, there's lots that we could explain associated with all this, but remember, when God, the Bible says the gifts of God, the callings of God are without repentance. It means when he gives you something, he's, he don't take it back. Okay? Now, verse number five. I'm sorry, verse number five. Indisputable truth number five. Sin is what causes spiritual death, and we cannot sin. Um, in other words, in, people say, yeah, but, you know, uh, Pastor Mark, we still sin, and, and sin caused Adam to die spiritually, and, and, uh, and so forth and so on. So that means if we sin, we die spiritually. Well, the problem with that is you were born of the problem with that argument, that logic is, that you were born a second time of a seed that can't be corrupted. And, and that seed has produced a spirit in you that can't be corrupted. And the Bible says that seed abides in you. Remember we, used the, we talked about if we broke the apple open, not only would we find beneath the skin er, inherent nature of an apple, but we would find seed in that apple that produced the apple. Okay? And so his seed abides in you. Um, and the Bible says because of that, you know, the seed of his life abides in you and, and you cannot sin. So since sin is what causes spiritual death and at the spirit level of your existence you can't sin, um, we see then that we've received divine nature, we've received eternal life, 
and sin um, can't undo it, okay? Number six, furthermore, because of Jesus, the Bible says Father is no longer keeping a record of sin. Now, we looked at some of this in the earlier classes, 2 Corinthians 5. I'm not going to go back through that. We looked at some of those verses in, in Hebrews. Their sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. So, sin's what causes spiritual death and we cannot sin. But Jesus didn't just pay for the sin that you committed up until the day you were born again. He paid for every sin that you ever have committed, ever will committed with his sacrifice. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. So, this is why Jesus... Um, because of Jesus, Father, rather, is no longer keeping a record of sin. You can, let me come over here for a minute, okay? Now, you, you, you can and will believe. I'm, I can't make you believe what I believe about these things. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like, how do I say this? I'm not trying to push anybody away. But, you know, there are certain things that, that people have a tendency just to ignore rather than to face or deal with. And, In other words, it's kind of like somebody who doesn't believe in creationism. They believe evolution, not creation. But they don't hold their positions to the same intellectual scrutiny that they hold my position to. And it's very easy to try to shoot down, you know, the whole everything about God and this sort of one thing and then the other, okay? Um, but... You know, when it comes to these discrepancies in their theories, okay, um, there's one problem that we ultimately run into is that no matter how far back into the process you go, you still got to come to something that wasn't um, created or something that's always been. If it's just air, air is something. And so, in other words... <laughs> I don't get me started on that, but, you know, to believe that, you know, evolution, Big Bang Theory and evolution, then you have to believe that absolutely everything came from absolutely nothing. And so if you're going to, you know, nitpick what I believe, make sure you use the same type of intellectual scrutiny and integrity by looking at what you believe. And so if you choose to believe that you can be saved, lose your salvation, and, and wind up in hell, um, then what do you do? And I'm only giving you six so far. I'm just going to give you six more, 12. What do, you, what do you do with these things? So anyway, let me, let me keep going here. Um, uh, number seven is one that we've uh, already looked at. Jesus is our propitiation, redemption, and justification and he has eternally redeemed us. Remember, we looked at that. We said our redemption is eternal. Our redemption is eternal. All right, let's keep going. Number eight, our right standing with God is not based upon our performance or behavior, but upon a gift we've been given and received by faith. If, if, I, if this is true, and, I, and I've, I've given you 15 or 20 verses, and I could have given you whole chapters that, that back this up, but because our right standing is not based upon our performance or behavior, but upon a gift we've been given and received by faith, then this means we're, we're, our right standing with God is established. Amen. Number nine, we really didn't get into this a lot 
Um, it's, we did mention it in Romans 5 when we spent some time there. But we've been permanently planted in the grace that saved us. Um, in, in other words, we're in grace. Grace, remember Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not just that, that God's grace has made us this, made us righteous, but the grace that made us what we are, we've been permanently planted in it. Okay, number 10. The Holy Spirit now lives in us. And according to Jesus, once he comes to live in us, he will live in us forever. Jesus told his disciples, he says, look, right now the Holy Spirit is with you, but there's coming a day when he'll be in you. And of course, we know that day was the day that they were born again, the day that I was born again, the day that you were born again was when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And Jesus said that when he comes to live in you, he will live in you forever, not live in you until you make your first mistake, not live in you until you sin. Um, so, again, you may believe that you can get saved and lose your salvation, but, I mean, Paul even talks about to the Corinthians that when they would go and commit sexual sin, that they were joining the members of God because the Holy Spirit lived in them their body became the temple of the Holy Spirit, that they were grieving the Holy Spirit because they were joining themselves in, in sexually immoral ways um, because, with the Holy Spirit still living inside of them. All right. Now, number 11. The Word says we are now separated from anything that defiled us, that we are without spot or blemish. Nothing remains to condemn us. We are without accusation and unaccusable. And we broke all that down out of Colossians um, in last class, class number 35. Okay. And then finally, and we could probably make a list of 24, but we'll stop at 12. Um, remember, we are saved because of, and now I quote from Ephesians 2, because of his great love with which he loved us. We're not saved because we've deserved it or earned it or we're good enough to receive it. It's, it's by grace through faith that we're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay. And so we're saved because of his great love with which he loved us, and nothing past, present, or future can separate us now from his love. It was his love that saved us. Um, and so if we were going to somehow lose our salvation, we would have to lose his love because his love is the reason why we're saved. And so he would have to stop loving us and disconnect us from his love in order for something that was produced by his love in our lives to be lost from our lives. We're saved because of his great love with which he loved us, and nothing past, present, or future can separate us from his love. Now, the other thing that we kind of dealt with last week, and I think I'm going to be talking about it some in the 7 p.m. service here at Heritage, worship service here at Heritage tonight, is this much more principle. Remember, he loved us enough to die for us while we were his enemies. Um, and so he says, if he died to save us, now that we've received salvation, how much more will the endless life of Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, keep us and reconcile us and, and make us and keep us one with God? So 12 things for you to consider as you, you know, search through these uh, things and come to answers and conclusions for um, yourself, okay? Now, I believe that all of these truths point to a single conclusion. When Jesus saves us, he saves us to the uttermost. 
He saves us entirely. He saves us completely. He saves us wholly, and he does so forever. Let me give you a few more verses out of Hebrews, and then we'll shift gears and talk in the time we have remaining about the renewing of the mind. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So the idea is that God is the one who sanctifies us. This is the work after we receive salvation where we're growing and developing and being separated from the things of this world and being separated unto the things of God, heavenly things. It's a process. He who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians tells us this. It, it is a process um, that is ongoing and there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be bumps and bruises. There's going to be times when we soar. There's going to be times when we crash. Okay, fall and stumble. I'm not telling you to go do it on purpose or predict it or anything like that. It's just part of the growing up process. Okay, And he knows that. And notice, for which reason he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Why would somebody think he would be ashamed to call us brethren? Because we may not always represent the family um, the way we should. But you know, Jesus doesn't turn his back on us because we struggle with behavioral issues or otherwise in our lives, okay? Um, let's go back to the screen, Hebrews 5, 9. And having been perfected, speaking of Jesus, he became the author of not temporary salvation, the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Hebrews 7 and 25. Therefore he is also able to save to the other most those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 9 and 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 10 and 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We've been sacrificed once and for all. So just notice some of these phrases, eternal redemption, perfected forever, eternal salvation, saved from wrath, sanctified once and for all, saved to the uttermost. You draw your own conclusions. Praise God. All right, let's talk now about renewing the mind. We mentioned it earlier just to provide some context for um, us wrapping up our discussion of, of righteousness. And by the way, um, you know, we talk about continuing to study and grow and develop and continuing in the Word. That's one of the hallmarks of discipleship, right? If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, Jesus said. Um, study out these things. Just like when we talked about kingdom, I gave you an overview of what the Bible says about kingdom. But there's a lot more in the Bible about kingdom, Old Testament and New Testament for that matter, that we never got to. And the same is true with righteousness. So these are really good things for you uh, to study. Um, I mention them. I can be preaching on something else, but I have a tendency to, to consistently mention these things, kingdom and righteousness, um, in the sermons and topics that I preach and um, teach on. All right, now, renewing the mind. Um, I thought I was over here smiling at you the whole time I was talking to you just then. I apologize, <laughs> all right, <laughs> again. You would think 36 classes in, I get used to, to flying this plane, praise God. I started to pick, pick it up, uh, the control panel here, and show it to you, but you know, if I pull some of these cords loose and then take myself off the air trying to be cute. So I won't do that. Amen. All right. Renewing the mind. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
any of my foundry brothers and sisters that are that are watching this um, and they watch it uh, uh, not live but after the fact um, this week and last week and maybe even a week before that we've been teaching in the morning classes at the foundry on renewing the mind so um, obviously I've spent more time on it there than I have to spend on it here but Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 Paul speaking I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God now some of this we've already talked about throughout other classes and so I'm gonna leave it on the screen for a moment the word beseech might be better understood as the word beg. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And so when he's begging them by the mercies of God, he's um, talking about all the things that has been revealed to them in the previous chapters of the book of Romans. Um, Romans is one of the greatest um, uh, explanations, expounding, uh, of unpacking of our salvation as it as exists anywhere in the Bible, and for that matter, then on, on the planet. Um, and so he's talking about all these things that, that God's done for us, all these, the price that he paid for us, the sacrifice that he made for us. And he's saying, look, in light of that, I'm begging you now to respond to, to that kind of mercy and that kind of love um, by presenting your body a living sacrifice. Remember, everything that God wants to do in you and through you begins with you showing up, you being present. Then he says, this is your reasonable service. One way of thinking that would be the least you can do. The least you can do is show up, okay? And I believe the renewing of the mind and showing up work hand in hand. In other words, um, if you don't care enough about it to show up, then um, what opportunity are you giving the Word of God and, and the Spirit of God uh, to work in your life to, to you know, cooperate together with them through the renewing of your mind? So he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed transformation by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, let me see, and I, I'm not going to take the time to put all these verses on the screen, but if you remember, Jesus said to us when he was having a conversation with a woman at a well one day that he came to give us um, a wellspring of life, living water, springing up from our innermost being. So you have your outward man, remember that would be your, your physical body. Um, then you have your inward man, that would be your soul and your spirit. But then you have your innermost being, the most inward part of you, the innermost part of you, and that's your spirit. So he said that from your spirit would, would spring up um, rivers of living water that would satisfy us and that we would never thirst again because of what these living waters inside of us would do. Now, because those wellsprings of his life and joy and prosperity and wisdom and strength um, are in the deepest, innermost part of you, for them to be experienced and enjoyed in your life reality, they're going to have to flow from the inside of you out. Remember when we talked about spirits, when we taught on spirit, soul, and body, we said that we were created to live from the inside out. Most people are living exactly opposite to that, trying to live from the outside in, trying to get everything they think they need from the outside of them into them. 
God's ways is put everything that you need on the inside of you and for that to then flow through you and out of you into your life reality into the world around you. So you have this, if you're born again, whether you've ever experienced anything from this wellspring of life or not in your life reality, the, re the reality of it, the truth of it is that it's inside of you now. Um, so begin now to think of your soul as a valve, just like a water faucet, you know. You, you can have water on one side of the valve, but unless you open the valve, it's not going to flow through. And so you've got this wellspring of, of, of life inside of you, the life and nature of God and everything that God is and everything that God has and everything that God can do inside of you. But in order for you to experience it and enjoy it in your life reality, it's got to pass through your soul, the valve that is your soul. So if, if, our, if our minds are set in the off position, um, in, in other words, if we have thinking that is not conducive uh, to the things of the Spirit, then the things that are inside of us, the reality of who and what's inside of us, even the potential that we possess as the offspring of God, that is our birthright as the offspring of God, will we'll, we'll never, or at least very limited at best, um, be experienced and enjoyed in our life reality. 3 John 2, we've looked at this verse before I'll just mention it again. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So those wellsprings of life that are in your innermost being, um, two of those springs are health and prosperity. Um, but notice that you, you experience that and enjoy that health and prosperity in your life reality to the extent that your soul is healthy and prosperous, that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So the renewing of the mind, the reconditioning of the mind. Now, when we talk about discipleship, again, this final class, I'm going back into a lot of things and trying to tie some things together. Um, remember, the word for that is manfano, and it's talking about learning by experience. And so the things that we have learned by experience um, in our living apart from God, living um, you know, when we weren't born again or even after we were born again but didn't know the truth, all of these things have served to form within us, condition, if you will, within us a way of thinking, a way of, of understanding things, a, a way of looking at things, uh, and, and most importantly, um, the way we look at God and the way that we look at ourselves. And so when he's talking about the renewing of your mind, let, let's put another word in there, the reconditioning of the mind. Um, because our minds have been conditioned. I like to say it that way. Our minds need to be reconditioned because um, they've, they've been previously conditioned uh, by wrong behavior, by, by um, sinful experiences, uh, traumatic experiences, so forth and so on. And so then when he says that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, remember that's not three degrees of God's will, but he's talking about you know, three different characteristics of the singular will of God for your life. Uh, something that is, is good is something that's beneficial, acceptable, here means well-pleasing, and perfect means all-encompassing. So that you may prove what is that... Um, beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for your life. Now, there's different translations of this passage, um, and the word proof here, I think it's the Amplified, th that you know, helps us understand what he's talking about here. 
and he's talking about proving it to yourself, um, proving that God's ways are the best ways, proving that you know, what God desires for you is what you've been looking for your whole life. And so, again, presenting ourselves so that our minds can be transformed, so that we can experience in our life reality um, the, the things that God has given to us. R remember all these verses, right? I'm just they're firing off in my spirit just so rapidly right now. Um, where he says that we have received not the spirit of this world, 1 Corinthians 2, we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit is from God, so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So he's saying that you've been given things that you don't even know are yours. And the Holy Spirit's inside of you to help you know even what all belongs to you as a child of God. But if we still think of ourselves as, as nobodies, if we still think of ourselves, it, in other words, it, I'm doing a lot of teaching on this right now on Sunday mornings. And um, I don't know, we're probably eight or ten sermons into um, some new revelation that the Lord has given me um, on these things. And uh, when I was sitting down, uh, you know, ahead of this class to get these things ready, it was, it was like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. There's just so much um, here that, uh, and it's so important. So, you, you know, again, hccnow.org, uh, my Vimeo channel, my Facebook page, um, the, you know, these sermons are out there, uh, again, hours and hours uh, of teaching on, on all of this. Um, but, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, Father made me righteous, but if I still think of myself as a sinner, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As um, a mirror reflects the face of a man, so is a man's life reflected, uh, a reflection of his heart. And so if Father makes me righteous, um, but I still think of myself and see myself as a sinner, then my life reality is going to be a reflection of the image that I have of myself and my thinking as opposed to what's really true about me. That's why I say your life reality will always line up with what you believe to be true about yourself, even if what you believe to be true about yourself isn't true. So let's go all the way back to Ministry of Reconciliation. We talked about how, you know, understanding reconciliation by reconciling a checkbook. So you have your checkbook and the ledger in your checkbook and that tells you how much money you think you have. Um, I know this kind of outdated technology has changed again, 17th year, okay? Um, but then you get a statement from the bank, emailed more than likely in these days, okay? Um, and and that's when you have to reconcile. You have to line up what you think you have with the statement of truth from the bank on what you really have. And so you've got who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But then you've got the old thinking. You, you've got the way you think about yourself. And so reconciling is when our thoughts come into alignment with the reality of who we truly are in Christ. Where we begin to see ourselves and think of ourselves as men and women that he's made free, free from sin, free from the consequences of sin, men and women that he's made righteous, men and women that he's made wise, men and women that he's made prosperous, men and women that he's made strong. And, and again, you know, thinking along these lines and, and, and seeing ourselves along these lines. Um, you know, what practical benefit, at least in this life, is there for Father God to make you a wealthy man, but you still see yourself as a, as a, as a poor um, cursed, you know, 
hoping your luck will change kind of approach to life, um, it's, uh, again, really, really important. Now, Jesus is first. I'll put this on the screen. Jesus is first. Most frequent and most obvious message is repent. And every time I say is repent, you know, part of me wants to say was repent, but it's, it's still his message. I mean, he's just preaching it on this earth as a man. Um, now he's preaching it on this earth through his body. But his first, most frequent, and most obvious message is repent. So we hear this message to repent, and my limited understanding of this, even growing up in church, was that repent meant stop sinning. And the way I understood repentance, and I was, by the way, only at best partially correct in my understanding, but the way I understood repent was um, you're doing wrong, cut it out, stop it, okay? But this word repent is a Greek compound word, uh, metanous, M-E-T-A-N-O-U-S. Meta meaning change, change of condition, nous being the Greek word for mind. So when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was literally saying that we can't keep thinking the way we've thought about things in the past. Remember when we covered this, the kingdom used to be three heavens away, very difficult to access. Now he's saying, change the way you think. The kingdom of heaven is not three heavens away, hard to access. The kingdom of heaven is nigh at hand. It's as close as your outstretched hand. If you're born again, it's even closer than that now. So Jesus' first, most frequent, and most obvious message is repent. So the reason I said stop sinning, cut out wrong behavior as only being partially correct um, we can understand repent as turning from sin, but until we address and allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to deal with the wrong thinking, because remember, our ways are not His ways because our thoughts are not His thoughts. So we, we behave in wrong ways because we think in wrong ways. Um, if you haven't figured it out by now, what needs to change is inside you and you can't get to that without God's help. And so our thinking, now listen, if you've never been born again, transformation in life begins at the new birth experience for you. But I would imagine 99% or more of the people I'm talking to right now, you know, have already been born again. So transformation for you then, after you've been born again, uh, involves the renewing of the mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Ephesians 4 and 17. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now let me come back over to you. I'm going to come back to these verses, so if you want to write something down or take some notes from them, I'll do that. Let me get a sip of water first. Let me give you some background here, because... 
man, you know, I have this tendency to get really excited about something and start hyping it, you know. Um, this is the most important thing in the Word of God. Well, I mean, every word in the Word of God is the most important thing, okay? I point these verses out to you, though, because of the gift that they are in helping us understand what we're experiencing and how to change it and how to experience change in our life reality. So this was written to born-again believers in the church at Ephesus, okay, the book of Ephesians. And of course it was just for them, it was for the entire body of Christ, for you and me. To this day, the Holy Spirit inspired these words. But what's being addressed here is born-again men and women living like men and women who have not been born again. They're, they're living like the rest of the Gentiles live their lives in the futility of their mind, the vanity of their mind, the pointlessness of their mind. They're living like folks whose understanding has been darkened. They're living like people who have been alienated from the life of God. Alienated means to be separated from. They're living like people who are outsiders. They're living like people who are separated from the life and nature of God. But these men and women have not been. They have the life and nature of God inside of them. They've been born again. They've been given this gift of eternal life, this wellspring of life, uh, this seed of God's life springing forth uh, in their born-again spirits. But we see that their condition, quality of life, is reflecting um, you know, more of someone who doesn't know God than someone who does. And, and their conduct also looks more like somebody who doesn't know God. So the condition, the conduct, the condition, the conduct, the quality of life and their behavior was more like that of someone who's never been saved than someone who has been saved, even though they have been saved. Okay? So let me put this verse back up. So when he says that you know, you're living like this, 17, 18, and 19, verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. So we looked at that. I don't know, first class, second class. I didn't go back in my notes to see when we covered it. Early, early on. You have not so learned Christ. That word learned is the word manthano in the Greek. It's the root from which we get our, our words disciple from. Um, and it means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. So he says, you didn't, you've not so learned Christ. This is talking about discipleship. You've not been so discipled by Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. So let me come back to you now for a moment. Uh, pardon my posture there. Sometimes I have to readjust myself in this chair. Um, remember Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. And you will find rest for your souls. So there's a pattern there. Come and I'll give. Learn and you'll find. Come to Jesus. He'll make you free. But if you're ever going to live in freedom, you're going, to let, you're going to have to let him teach you how to think like a free man, how to see yourself as the free man that he made you, as the righteous man that he made you. Okay? Um, he'll give you rest, but if you're ever going to experience and enjoy rest in your life reality, you're going to have to let him disciple you. You're going to have to learn Christ. You're going to have to learn from him. Um, and So that yoke is speaking of an implement that would join two 
animals together, two oxen, for example, together, um, to pull a plow or to pull logs or trees or what have you, heavy, heavy objects. Um, and so they would put a younger ox in a yoke alongside an older, more experienced ox for the younger ox to learn from. So in Matthew 11, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he's saying he wants to do life with you. He wants to teach you, you know, throughout your day, um, the things that you need to know to live the life that he created you to live. So we come back over to this verse. He says, but you've not so learned Christ. Notice verse 20 has a comma at the end of it. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So notice a lot of key words here, but the one I want to point out to you is the smallest word of them all, and that's if, okay? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. And so we see that a lot of these folks have not been taught by Jesus. They have not been, uh, you know, submitted themselves to the discipleship process for Jesus um, to teach them, all right? Um, let's keep going here. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which goes corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. All right? So, I'm going to leave that on the screen for a moment. That you put off. So he's talking about something you to, for you to do. Something involved here something that you need to do, that I need to do, deliberate intentional action, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. He's not saying put off the old man. The old man, man, if you, if you were in the classroom and I asked this question right now and you answered it, you might make me weep. You might make me dance a jig. You might make me go to my wife's office. She does children's church here at the church and find you a gold star, okay? What happened to the old man? Does anybody know he was crucified and buried with Jesus in an unmarked grave? So he's not talking about putting off the old man. He's talking about putting off the lingering conduct of the old man. The old man was buried and you became a new man the day you were born again. The, the conduct lingers because the thinking lingers. The old man left an imprint in our minds. In our, he left residue in our souls and that residue, that imprint, that leftover thinking still fuels wrong behavior. So he's saying if we're going to put off that, the conduct of the old man, because the old man's already dead and buried, but there's lingering conduct, if we're going to put it off, we're going to have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And if we're going to put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, we're talking about the new man you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you're going to put on the conduct and quality of life that belongs to the new man, if you're going to put off the, the conduct and quality of life of the old man, verse 23 tells us how to do that practically and effectively. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, I am... Um, very, very thankful for the things that the Lord has taught me and revealed to me over the years. And um, not the most significant, because the most significant thing He'll ever reveal to me to reveal to His people um, is still in my future, because that's just the way He is. He saves the best for last, okay? 
But one of the more significant things that God has, has ever revealed to me, he revealed to me, man, I need to go back and look at my notes, but within the last few months, okay, within the last six months. And that is, for 17 years, I've taught on be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And for the first time in 17 years, I am 100% convinced of what the spirit of your mind actually is. The best answer um, up until last year that I could give someone was that the spirit of your mind is your attitude. And while that's a swing and maybe a single, it's not the home run, okay? The Holy Spirit revealed to me that the spirit of your mind is your self-image. It's how you see yourself. The spirit of your mind. Remember, the real you is your born-again spirit. So you've got the real you, your born-again spirit, but then you've got the version of you, amen, that lives in your mind, that lives in your soul, okay? What you think is true about you. Your self-image is how you see yourself. It's what you believe to be true about yourself. It's how you think about yourself. So to... The renewing of the mind is talking about all things within the mind and thought and thinking and understanding, okay? This is a little more specific here. He's not just saying the renewing of the mind. He's saying be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, when you became that new man, um, you were created again. Now he's saying we need to be made new again in the spirit of our mind. Your, your spirit has been made new again. The spirit that exists in your mind still has a lot of that old man, uh, old man's influence um, residing there. And we've got to root that out. And so to put off the old and put on the new, the only way to effectively and practically do that is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind or to allow the Holy Spirit to help you see yourself um, the way God sees you. And, of course, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God um, is able uh, to do that um, for us. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, I believe that one phrase captures the true essence of discipleship perhaps better than any other phrase in, in the Word of God. Um, if you look at it, take that understanding, be renewed in the spirit of your mind as a new self-image reflecting of the, the person you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Take that back to where Jesus was in John 8 where he said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free, right? Um, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He's going to make you free. Um, but then, come and I'll make, learn and you'll experience and enjoy. Let me disciple you and I'll teach you how to live in the freedom that I have made you, that you've became, that you became the day you became a new creation in me. So, being renewed in the spirit of your mind um, is such a... A, a powerful way to understand what discipleship is, is really all about and what it, what it really looks like. Praise God. Now, 
Let me see, we got some more time here, so um, thank you, Jesus. Proverbs tells us, and I mentioned this earlier, I don't have this in my notes to put it on the screen, but this is some of the things that we've been teaching at, Sun, uh, at Heritage on Sundays. Um, your life reality is a reflection of your self-image, um, and you can never change what's going on in your life reality unless you change what it is a reflection of. And the Lord showed it to me this way. It would be like looking in a mirror and realizing that you had pizza sauce on your face and trying to clean the pizza sauce on your face by cleaning the mirror instead of your face. And, and this is the trap that a lot of people fall into is they try to change their life by trying to change the reflection. Your life reality is a reflection of your self-image, of something that's, that resides in your heart. And so if how you see yourself never changes, then the life reality that is a reflection of how you see yourself will never change. And, and this is why um, change can seem so elusive. Um, it, it's, it's why you know, trying to really see things improved in our lives can, can seemingly be you know, like at best only temporary. And so when we look at um, you know, where we need to focus our efforts, um, it's in allowing the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to, um, to help us see who we really are. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about as you are known now in heaven. Um, because you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, your spirit coincides with who you truly are, your tr what I call your true image. Your soul is where your self-image resides. This, this is um, you know, who you think you are, how you see yourself. And then we have um, what I call our projected image. This cor correlates with our body, our outward man. And this is the image of ourselves that we want other people to see. And so many times there's a discrepancy between how we see ourselves and how we want other people to see us. But the bigger gap is on the other side. It's the gap between how we see ourselves and who we really are in Christ Jesus, who he made us to be. And so if you want to really experience the results and fruits of discipleship in your life, um, it's more than just disciplining your way into doing better. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to help you see yourself. You know, again, if our life, if our life reality is a reflection of our self-image, how can we ever have righteousness showing up in our life reality if um, we don't ever see ourselves as being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Amen. It's, it's, it's important if you, if you think about that. All right, now. Hallelujah. Let me, um, thank you, Lord. Okay, so I know some of this is review, but I just want you to see it in light of what we're talking about right now. Um, Paul said that he travailed in birth again until Christ was formed in Galatians 4.19. 
if you break that down into, into the literal translations, what, what he's talking about here is the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. That was another thing that I told you early on when we were really nailing down what discipleship is and what it's all about and what it's intended to accomplish in our lives. And so I want to close that loop for you. I want to connect those dots now that we've looked at all the things that we've looked at and, and understand better now um, the things you know, that we've gathered along the way. So the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. So let's go back to righteousness. The inward reality of the new birth is that you've become just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus himself. Righteousness, not of a forgiven sinner, but the righteousness of one who's never sinned. Father, remember, has always wanted to treat you like your sin never happened. And the price Jesus paid for you and your sin has afforded him the luxury of being able to do that and still be a just God, just and justifier. And so that's the inward reality of the new birth. That becoming an outward expression of life is what discipleship is intended to facilitate, to, to, to uh, I don't want to say produce or create, but enable. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It enables the inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. Discipleship does. But now notice the soul being the valve, the, 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 the spirit um, you know, being the fountain, um, and, and how we see ourselves and how all that's related. So if the inward reality of the new birth is ever going to become an outward expression of life, um, we're, we're going to have to have a renewed uh, self-image um, because our outward expression of life is a reflection of our self-image. This is one of the things the Lord showed me, and, I, and again, I, those of you who have been a part of all these sermons, I appreciate you bearing with the rest of us while I share some of these things, right? But... Um, our life reality is not a reflection of our potential. Man, I wish it was. Amen. We'd all be superstars for the kingdom. Amen. Um, because we have so much potential inside of us. Um, nor is our life reality a reflection of our, of our desires. You know, what we would like, what kind of life we'd like to have, what, what kind of life we would, what kind of things we would like to accomplish for our, for our Savior and, and, and these kinds of things. I'm thankful for desire. Don't misunderstand me. It has its place. I'm thankful for the potential that all of us possess. But your life reality is not a reflection of your potential or your desires. It's the potential of your self-image. So you can have all this tremendous potential but still see yourself as a loser and, and your life reality is not going to be a reflection or an expression of the inward reality of the new birth. It's going to be an expression of something that you are not and, and haven't been since the day you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. All right, let's, um, let's do this. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 12. I'm going um, to leave you with this, okay? Um, I tell you what, before we turn there, let me put these two words up right quick, okay? This is from Dr. Neil T. Anderson, and um, I know these are big words, and I've tried to even simplify it, but these words are the appropriate words, and so let me do some quick explaining. Indicatives and imperatives. The Bible that you have in your lap or laying on the desk in front of you or in your hand in an iPhone or whatever, um, 
the New Testament in that Bible is filled with verses that fall into the category of indicative and it's filled with verses that fall into the categories of imperatives. Now let's talk about the imperatives first. An imperative passage of Scripture is any Scripture that would spell out to you or to me some type of duty, some type of responsibility, some sort of command or instruction. Okay, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially um, as you get closer and closer to the, to the end. All right? So that's an imperative. He's telling you to do something. He's telling you, commanding you to obey. Okay? So the imperatives are obeyed um, by, by doing them, by following through on them. Given, it shall be given unto you. We, should, we could go on and on with this. Okay? Those are all the verses that fall into the category of imperative. All right? But then we've got verses that fall into the category of an indicative. Okay? Think indicate. Okay, indicative, indicate. So these are verses that don't contain instructions or commands, but they simply serve to indicate what's true about you now that you've become a new creation in Christ Jesus, now that you've been born again. So for instance, um, there's therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, if any man's in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice there's no instructions here. So you don't obey these verses by doing them. You obey these verses by believing them, by allowing them to become the raw materials uh, from the Word of God to reform and reforge and rebuild and renew um, the spirit of your mind. Um, renew your mind in general, the spirit of your mind in particular, okay? Now, when we go back to indicatives and imperatives, um, there are a lot of folks who believe and teach that um, the indicatives are dependent upon the imperatives. What does that mean? It, it means that the only way you can be a son of God is if you live up to the imperatives. In other words, the, the, the thinking goes, um, you know, if you obey, then you'll be righteous. So all the verses that talk about you being righteous in Christ Jesus by faith, those would fall into the category of indicatives. Then you've got all the verses that talk about what we should do and how we should live. So a lot of people think, well, the only way to be righteous, indicative, is to obey the Scriptures, imperatives. It's, it's the exact opposite of that. It's only when we know who we are in Christ that we have the wherewithal to do what Christ told us to do. The book of Ephesians, we spent a lot of time in that over these past 36 classes. The book of Ephesians um, is six chapters. It's of no coincidence that the first three chapters are devoted to primarily um, indicative verses. Um, what's true about us, what's been done for us, who we are because of it, okay? And it's only after all of that is well established and put in place that we begin verse number four with instructions, that, that, that we're given commands, that, that, that we're told what we need to do and what we need to change, okay? So when he tells you to be angry and sin not, to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, 
He doesn't do that until he tells you that because of the great love with which God has loved you, um, he's redeemed you from dead works and from the past. Are you following what I'm saying? So it, so many people in, in Christianity today um, are struggling to become something they've already become by doing things that they've been told or believe that they can never do or live up to. You see, if I'm a sinner trying to live as a righteous man, um, how will that ever happen? But if I begin to see and believe and know and understand that Jesus has made me righteous, well, now that's put righteousness and righteous living in reach for me. It's, it's now made what was previously impossible to do doable and possible and attainable. Paul said, not that I've already attained, okay? To say something is attainable doesn't mean I have attained it. But what am I doing? What are you doing? What are we doing? We're pressing. We're reaching. We're going after it. Amen. Now, five minutes to go. Um, what did Abraham believe? You say, Pastor Mark, that's kind of a random thing, all right? What did Abraham believe? Well, why is this important? It's important because Abraham is not just the father of, of the circumcision of those who, um, he's the father of circumcision of those who not only are the circumcision, but also walk in the steps of faith with our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So I don't want to throw you a curveball here. It's talking about um, whether we're Jewish born or non-Jewish born, that we're walking in the steps of our father Abraham. So what did he believe? Verse 16, therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So here you fix to see what Abraham believed. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. And the emphasis is mine there on I have made you. Okay. So what is it that Abraham believed? Abraham believed that God made him something that he could never make himself. Abraham believed that God made him not just the father of Isaac, but that God had made him the father of many nations before he was the father of a single individual. Now this is really, really important because righteousness by faith doesn't work this way. Faith doesn't work in general. It doesn't work, I believe it when I see it. Faith says, because God says it's true, it's true, and I believe it's true, even if there's no evidence yet in my life to support it. You see, God told Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. Abraham's mind did something funky with that. Abraham heard, will make. God didn't say, I will make you righteous. He said, I have made you righteous. He didn't say, I will make you free. He said, I have made you free. He didn't say, I will heal you. He says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Okay, So he says to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. Abraham took that to mean one day God would. And so he kept believing one day God would. Finally, it dawned on him what God said. God didn't say, I will make. He said, I have made. This, I believe, is about the time Abram changed his name to Abraham. He changed his name to father of a multitude. He started seeing himself and calling himself the father of multitude. Remember, this was before in sense realm evidence, what you can see, taste, smell, hear, touch, okay? Um, in sense realm evidence, zero evidence that he was the father of anything, much less the father of nations. 
But notice, he believed it when there was no evidence to support it, and that's what his faith um, allowed to be produced, an inward reality becoming an outward expression. So why are we closing out 36 classes with this thought? It's because God made you something the day he made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is believing, discovering, and believing and realizing that in your life reality so that you can benefit from it, so that you can experience it and enjoy it, but also so that you can become that minister of reconciliation, setting an example for and speaking life into other people around you. It has been a privilege to take this journey with you this year. It has been a distinct honor to have you um, this, this group, Class 17, will stand out above all the other classes for this reason. You guys did it virtually, okay? Everybody else has had the camaraderie in the room and the energy in the room and the excitement of coming together in a room um, and, the, and the corporate anointing that's in a room and the corporate pulling on the gift that's in the room to, to help keep you committed to this. And so because you guys have done it virtually, you always have a special place in, in my heart. Um, and I am joining my faith together with you that all the seeds that have been planted in your heart over these past 36 classes um, are going to produce results in your life and not a single word of them will fail to come to pass. And that God is going to use you powerfully uh, for his glory to not just experience and enjoy change and transformation in your life, but to help other people. Um, you know, by what you've learned, uh, help other people experience and enjoy that transformation in theirs. I've said it, I guess, 36 or more times, and I'll say it one more time to you. I love you. Good things coming. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these past 36 classes and for these men and women who have participated. Lord, some maybe only a handful of classes, some much more, some all of them, Father. Lord, that's between them and you. And Lord, I thank you that the technology you've blessed us with has made these things available, and they will be available. Father, should Jesus Terry's return to the earth long after 120 years from now, Father, um, these classes will be somewhere on the Internet for somebody to find and enjoy and be, and, and be blessed by and benefit from. And so, Lord, I just, again speak blessing and life and wisdom over all those who are watching me now, listening to me now. I thank you, Father, that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And I thank you, Father, um, that we will not grow weary in well-doing, and in due season we will reap if we faint not. In Jesus' name, amen. You be blessed. And one more time, good things coming.